0: Merryground Storytelling presents Test Valley Tales with Amanda Kane Smith. Hello, I'm Amanda. Welcome to the Test Valley Tales podcast. This podcast features the stories from my illustrated book called Test Valley Tales. Each week, I'll be telling a traditional story based in a real location in the beautiful borough of Test Valley, which, if you're not from round here, is in Hampshire, in England, in the UK. All the stories are different, but they are all magical in one way or another. So, whether you're curious about strange-looking dragons or magical wish-giving fish, enchanted trees or even spooky ghost legends, I'm sure there'll be a tale here for everyone. And if you're listening locally, I hope you may want to go out and explore the place the story is set and maybe see if you can find some of the things I refer to there. I can't promise you'll meet any of the magical creatures, but... If you do come across any, please say hello from me. Well, I think it's time to get on with this week's tale. So, make yourselves comfortable and I will set the scene. This tale is a magical tale and it's called The Wandering Tree of Dainbury Ring. Dainbury Ring was first built as a hill fort over 2,500 years ago. Iron Age Britain was a very violent place, so people liked to live in forts to keep them safe from marauding attackers who liked to maraud and attack. And there was no better place to see an attacker marauding than from a fort on the top of a hill. Nowadays, it's difficult to imagine its violent past as you walk up the hill to take in the view which stretches for miles in all directions. Around the fort itself, there is a wood. It's a wonderful circular wood created out of beech trees and yews. A perfect spot for woodland games and exploring, or just sitting in the shade on a hot summer's day. I love to walk around Dainbury's ramparts and look down at the grass in its centre. I wonder about the secrets it holds and how it's been different things to different people since those original inhabitants left. It was even used as a huge rabbit warren at one point with its very own warriner employed to look after them. Now that's a sight I would love to have seen. Imagine all those rabbits hopping about inside the ring. Then, in the 16th century, a royal charter was granted for it to be used as a site for a rural fair. And that is where our story takes us, on a very hot day in late July, as John, the farm labourer, had just finished work having been given the afternoon off to go to the fair. Little did he suspect the strange and unusual things that were about to happen to him. John began to climb his way up the hill towards the fair. It was so hot that he had to stop several times to take his cap off and wipe his brow. As he stood, looking across the golden brown wheat fields where he had been hard at work earlier, he could hear the hustle and bustle of the fair. There was music and chitter-chatter, shouting from the stallholders, and what wonderful smells! He could still taste the pie he'd bought from one of the stores last year. It had been delicious. And he definitely wanted to buy one of those again this year. John put his cap back on and felt a thrill of excitement as he finished his climb up the steep hill and entered the fair. It was crowded with people and there was so much to see that John hardly knew where to begin. His senses felt overloaded as he listened to the merchants who'd made their way from all over Europe shouting from their stores in all kinds of accents and languages he didn't understand. You could buy almost anything at a fair from sheep and spices to perfume and peacocks. Maybe I'll wander round the stores, he thought. Or I could watch the jugglers. Or better still, perhaps I'll just start by finding that pie stall. Suddenly, a bell rang announcing a play was about to begin. John loved a good play. They were always full of funny characters and John loved a good laugh. But he was still feeling hot after the climb and decided to buy an ale before settling in to watch the players. John pushed his way through the malt bugs, as he liked to call them the red-faced men that hung around the ale stall, tankards in hand as they swayed this way and that. He looked at all the barrels lined up as a turnip-faced man shouted from behind the counter. What can I get you? We have uff cap or mad dog, dragon's mead or go by the wall, stride wide or lift leg, or fine ales to quench your thirst on an op day like this. John chose a tankard of Go By The Wall and stood to watch the play, which was a curious rendition of Noah and the Ark with men dressed as animals and a real bear. When it had finished, John decided to get himself another ale before going to find the pie stall and as the first ale had gone straight through him, he thought it best to nip behind a tree first to relieve himself. Just at the edge of the fair and far enough out of sight was a big yew tree that stood near the beginning of the wood which circled all the way around the ring. It was a big old tree and, like lots of yews, it had branches sprouting out at all angles, not just the top. Its trunk was broad and sinewy. Some of it was smooth and other parts seemed old and flaky. This tree had been there for a long time. John went behind the tree and, when he finished, he patted the tree's bark. Thanks, old tree, he said. That's better. As he came back round to the front, he noticed its roots. They were sticking up out of the ground and had arched and twisted themselves around in such a way to create a comfortable-looking seat pale green moss had grown over the roots like a soft velvet cushion. John looked at it and thought what a pleasant place it would be to sit and watch the comings and goings of the fair for a moment. It was still hot. It would be good to sit in a shade for a while. John sat himself down on the roots. He leant his back against the ewe's bark and, well, whether it was because of the heat of the day, or the ale that he had drunk, he soon fell fast asleep. When John woke up, it was dark and silent. The first thing he noticed was the wet dripping on the back of his neck where it had started to rain. You see, John's body had slumped forward in his sleep, but luckily for him, he'd managed to fall across a low branch which seemed to be supporting his weight like a strong arm and preventing him from falling to the ground. John opened his eyes. It was a bright night. The moon was full and shining through the branches onto the ground, which was only inches away from his nose. In fact, his face was so close to the ground that he could smell the damp earth and could see a small centipede making its way home, moving its dozens of legs through the yew needles that had fallen from the tree. John squinted his eyes and pulled himself up. He took a deep breath and stretched out his arms, pulling them back in immediately and rubbing them with his hands to warm himself up. The rain had washed away all the heat of the summer day and now it was chilly and wet. John suddenly regretted only wearing his breeches and tunic. Well, he'd not expected to be out this late. At least my cap will keep me head warm, he thought. The used branch hugged him around his waist. John gently pulled it away with one hand, pressed his other hand into the gnarly bark of the tree and stood up. Bother, he said out loud. I didn't even get to eat a pie this year. Poor John's head was fuzzy and sleepy as he began to make his way home. Now, Unfortunately, he had never been to Danebury Ring at night before and, well, instead of heading out of the wood as he thought, he began to head into it by mistake. Along the path he went, further and further, hoping to find himself at the top of the hill. By the time he realised his mistake, he had completely lost his bearings and it had begun to rain heavily. John stopped to see if he could see anything familiar, and about twenty paces ahead, he saw what looked like the yew tree he'd just been resting under. But that can't be right, he thought. Well, I was on the edge of the wood before. He supposed one tree looked very much like the next, and needing to find shelter, he headed for it anyway. The rain was now so heavy it was stinging his face and getting into his eyes, so he grabbed his hat with one hand on each side, pulled it down over his ears, and tipped his head forward so he was looking down at the ground. He knew he didn't need to look where he was going, as long as he walked in a straight line. One, two, three. He paced with his shoulders hunched against the chill of the rain. Nine, ten, 11. Just keep going straight, then I can shelter for a bit. 18, 19, 20. Almost there. He looked up and was shocked to see the tree still at least 20 paces in front of him. Maybe it was further away than I thought, he said to himself. The night can make things look different. He pulled his hat back down over his ears and, continuing to look down to stop the rain hitting his face, he began to walk again. One, two, three. He could see his boots squelching through the newly made mud. Nine, ten, eleven. Rain was now dripping down the inside of his tunic and he could feel it running down his back. Eighteen, nineteen, twenty. He looked up and... To his astonishment, the tree was still 20 paces away from him. John was confused. He looked behind him and could not see any tree which looked like the one he was walking towards. He looked to his left and to his right and again, lots of trees, but none of them as big or as old as the one straight ahead. Unsure what he was doing wrong, he decided to take a different tack. I must keep the tree in sight at all times, he thought. The wind was still whistling around the trees, but the rain was easing, so John decided he could look straight ahead without getting it in his eyes. He stretched his arm out in front of him and began to walk. One, two, three... Suddenly... A huge gust of wind blew a cloud across the moon, and everything became dark. As soon as the moon's light faded, so did his view of the yew tree, until he was unable to see it at all. Nine, ten, eleven. He kept going straight with his arm held out. Eighteen, nineteen, twenty. He stopped. As the clouds drifted past the moon, he began to be able to see the yew tree again. But just as before, it was twenty paces in front of him. It was infuriating. On and on he went in this way, each time thinking he was close to the tree and each time finding the tree to be out of his reach. John felt miserable and alone. He was cold and wet and it was scaly in the woods at night. He'd heard that people had lived up there in days of old and bloody battles had been fought on its slopes. Well, what if there were ghosts of dead soldiers wandering about? What if one were to appear right now? John turned quickly. There was no one there. The moon was now so bright, shadows were forming everywhere, shadows that were moving with the wind. Suddenly... There was a loud noise, a low howl followed by a scream. Something was coming towards him. He could hear its feet moving through the fallen leaves and branches. John tried to make himself small and invisible. Then two foxes came chasing out of the undergrowth. Both foxes stopped for a moment and stared at him as he crouched on the ground. John imagined them like the people of old, wearing fur with bright eyes, hunting in the woods at night. Maybe they've come to gather some yew wood to make a crossbow, he smiled to himself. Then, as quickly as they had appeared, they were gone, scarpering away back into the darkness. John looked ahead, and there was the yew tree, twenty paces in front. The wind was now blowing fiercely through the wood, and the tree's branches were swaying from side to side. It looked like it was waving. It was like a giant centipede standing upright and waving all its legs in the air. John rubbed his eyes. First the foxes, now this. The night is playing tricks on me. I only think it's waving because I saw that centipede when I woke up just now. He rubbed his eyes again and when he opened them, the tree had gone John had had enough. His heart was racing. He needed to find a way out. He began to run. He ran and ran, tripping and stumbling but never stopping. Finally, he made his way out the other side of the wood. He stopped. He caught his breath and was relieved to see he was back at the top of the hill where he had begun. I've been all the way around, he chuckled to himself. The wind was finally settling down and the rain had stopped. The moon was shining brightly above him. Everything felt a little calmer. John sat down. He looked out into the darkness at the stillness of the night, and there, in the distance, he could see the little twinkling lights of the farm. Time to go home, he thought. He took his hat off and wiped the rain from his face with his tunic. He put his hat back on and was about to go when something tapped him on his shoulder. Terrified, John jumped to his feet. He spun round. There, looming over him, was the yew tree like a great giant with unruly hair. "'That was fun,' whispered the yew tree. "'Fancy going round again?' It was a very long time before John was brave enough to tell anyone about his night with the wandering tree, and when he did, he was surprised to learn that he was not the only person who had met a tree in this way. In fact, it turned out that there were trees like this in woods all over England, trees that just like to stretch their roots occasionally and go for a walk. I'd love to go for a walk with a tree. I bet they have some great stories to tell, particularly yew trees, as some of them live up to 2,500 years. That's as old as Dainbury Hill itself. There's even one in De in Wales, which is claimed to be 5,000 years old. And if that's true, well, I bet that one has a tale or two to tell. Now when I began researching this story I came across the Ancient Yew Group and a study of the yew trees at Dainbury Hill by Peter Norton so I was thrilled when Peter agreed to be interviewed. Unfortunately it was a really windy day so the sound quality isn't great and we have lost some of Peter's knowledge to the wind. I'm definitely going to have to go back and interview Peter again sometime on a much less windy day. But for now... I hope you enjoy this interview. So here I am in Longstock Farm Shop with Peter Norton and it was Peter's, well, one of Peter's investigations that I was drawn to when I was researching for the story. So Peter, it's very, very, well, it's fantastic to meet you. Thank you for meeting me today. And um, Sir so Peter, you're part of the Ancient Yew Group. Um, That's great, yeah. And how did you find this group in the first place?
1: How I got involved was wandering around the new forest, wondering why, what these trees were, etc., etc. Um, there are one or two very old ones in there, and I just wondered what they were. And then it led on to me finding the Ancient Yew Group, and I got in contact with them and had a chat. And then I went out and started doing my own research into... I started off with... Uh, one or two river valleys, I think the Avon I looked at first, Salisbury, or Hampshire Avon as it's called, um, and then followed on with the test, and then I did the another one up in Wiltshire, the uh, River Kennet, like. and from there I moved on to churchyards.
0: What is it about yous that fascinated you?
1: I don't know, their shape, yeah, the texture, yeah. Um, supposed... Stories, you know, folklore and such like. Um, Why were they in churchyards?
0: Because you travel around, don't you, and you go and you look at all the different yews, and you you're you're very into the science behind them and their history. Am I right in thinking that lots of churchyards are built around yew trees? So what? It's a bit chicken or egg. What came first, the churchyard or the yew tree? And and why are why do they have this association?
1: How long have you got? (laughs) 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 Trying to foil it down. It follows on from. Ancient tribes moving across from Europe. If you can imagine, I mean, we were covered in trees at one time, apart from sorcery plain, we're told. The whole of the rest of the area was covered in trees. Trees got chopped down. Some remained, became meeting points. They were evergreen.
0: Oh yes.
1: So if you were going to meet somewhere, you would meet at the tree that was always green. And from there, there, there would probably be a wise man and, you know... Then along came Christianity, so their religious places grew up round where people always were.
0: How old are yew trees, or how old can they be, if
1: if humans stay out the way? Yeah. All right, just leave them alone. It can be timeless, I suppose.
0: How old would a yew tree have to be to be an ancient yew? Well,
1: well according to ourselves, the ancient yew group. Yeah. Um, anything from eight hundred to a thousand years, it would be.
0: Gosh, I'm interested. At, with I thought with trees, you can you age them by the rings.
1: You can't measure the inside because most of them hollow, which is caused by a brown rot. If you look in some old yew you trees, you'll find brown cubicle rot. Right. Just it will just flake out. You, you pull it out. But that's this fungus which is in there but it doesn't touch the outside <laughs> but what the ewe does it recognises this and it then sends roots out yeah. from the break of crown so you've got the tall trunk say it's 8 foot yeah. from that, where the crown breaks off yeah. the tree will then send a root down which eats on what's left taking the nutrients what's left goes on down into the ground and reroots itself Okay, it's just one of its methods of reproduction. It has three,
0: and that one's why it's it's associated with the tree of life because it's the, there's, it's there's it's,
1: con- it's continuous. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, but you also have male and female trees.
0: Yeah. Now this is something I'm hoping that in a minute we're going to be able to go up to Danebury yeah. and have a look at the tree. It might be um, a little bit windy up there, but we're
1: going to go. in 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 spring when the male trees give off their pollen, it can be like a dust storm. A fascinating fact is that the females will receive that and hopefully, you know and, uh, and, 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 and you'll get the, um, the fruits for me. But if there's an area which has more male trees than females, a male tree can decide to be both sexes and will actually turn one of its branches into a female.
0: Oh, how fantastic.
1: (laughs) How it knows, we don't know. Does it do it for some other reason? Or is it because there's such a a vast array of male trees around? But it will actually turn itself, turn part of itself into a female tree.
0: Gosh, that's that's absolutely amazing, isn't it? So, gosh...
1: Yeah, I know, it it goes on.
0: So, Peter, shall we go and have a little look up there uh, have a little look up at Dainbury yep yep. see if we can find the tree and hopefully you'll be able to tell me whether it's a male or female and we've just walked up the hill to Dainbury ring itself and we've turned off to the right and there are a number of yew trees on the right and we think one of these is the um the wandering tree
1: well, somebody's been walking here already. Yeah. Ah, right, there you go. Oh. Oh. That's badgers feeding on the. Uh, that's them being sick.
0: Oh! Badger sick!
1: Yeah. Uh, that's what? all, And that'll be all you arrows.
0: So there's badger sick with you arrows in it. How. That's lovely. So this tree here, we've. it's a female. And can you just say again, why do we know that this one's a female?
1: Because of the arrows. That's. That's the berry-looking fruits.
0: Yeah,
1: uh, that's the arils. It's called an aril because they're not—they're not complete. If you have a look at a fruit,
0: right? Oh, it's got a hole in the bottom. You mean? Yes, I see.
1: Yeah, yeah, it, I can it, see that. So it's, it's not not complete. And if you—it's almost
0: like a bead. Yes. Well, in my head, it makes it easy when you say an aril, and it's not a completely formed. It's not completely formed. No. Um, berry. Um, for me it makes it easy to think of it as a bead so so I can see that bit going through the middle which makes it not which is the seed yeah which is the seed and it's the seed which is the
1: poisonous part yes the shell of the seed is the poisonous bit
0: okay so do we we're not sure do we think this is the wandering tree or do we think that one over there is I think this is the wandering tree you think this one is hello wandering tree but you can see that they're kind of friendly old things can't you really she looks very friendly just wanting to have a little bit of stretching her legs and going off on a bit of a wander. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I doubt much happens up here at night time, so... Anyway. Well, Brilliant. I don't Bye. know if I'd
1: want to be up here. <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave that bit of research to somebody else. Yeah.
0: If people wanted to find out about ews and the Ancient new you Group, you've, you've got a website, haven't you? Yes. So you could just go on...
1: Ancient New Group, and it says contact you expert and... Uh, you just and, and there's an email address.
0: Fantastic, because it seems that you've got lots and lots of different people who know different things about the yew. There's so 11
1: of us, I believe, right. that's all. There's only 11 of us. Um, so any questions people so, have? Any questions, um, we'll try and answer. It's
0: so beautiful up here. Thank you so much, Peter, for meeting me today and telling me all this fascinating stuff about the yew trees. And, well... We think this could be The Wandering You, but actually it might even be that one over there. I think people could come up here and and make up their own mind um, which one it is. To me, they all look very magical and they all look like they're they're ready to pick up their roots and go for a wonder. Um, Anyway, it's been really great. Thank you so much. Well, that's it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed the tale and the facts behind it as much as I enjoyed discovering them and writing the story. Thank you for listening. Test Valley Tales is an Arts Council-funded project and part of Test Valley Arts Foundation Borough of Culture Legacy Projects. You can find all sorts of project resources on my website at www.merry-go-roundstorytelling.co.uk forward slash testvalleytales There is a downloadable map with postcodes to find all the story locations, links to walks, and craft activities. You can also buy the Test Valley Tales illustrated book of short stories there. Test Valley Tales is on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter as at Test Valley Tales. And this podcast can be found on Podbean at podbean.com forward slash Test Valley Tales. If you are interested in finding out about other types of storytelling I get up to, or you would like to book me for an event, you can email me at mgrstorytelling at gmail.com. I am on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter as at MGR Storytelling and Merry-Go-Round Storytelling on YouTube. I also have another storytelling podcast which can be found at podbean.com forward slash funny tales and fairy tales and all this information can be found on my website which is wwwmerry go roundstorytellingcouk happy storytelling and i look forward to telling you another tale soon